Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. I enjoyed All Things Told, that, that show. That wasn't a bad show compared to uh, most of what's on TV these days. That one wasn't too bad. Uh, he, it, it seemed, if first time seeing it, you think, boy, this is a really neat show. They take these people that need a better house, then they, give, they, they make them this better house. So only when you really get into it, you realize just how commercialized even this show was. Product placement everywhere. Um, it, uh, uh, the... the products to be bought and uh, uh, it it wasn't entirely lots of sponsorship it wasn't entirely altruistic it was a good show it wasn't wasn't great uh, it it was neat to see people come together to serve a family in some level of need uh, but and and this of course Thanksgiving and the the Randolph Coalition of Christian Churches got together on Thanksgiving, and, and we served at the Odd Fellows again this year. And I enjoy, I enjoy that chance to serve the community. If we want to see the example of selfless service, the example that is set for us is in Jesus himself. Uh, no strings attached. That's one of the things I enjoyed about Thanksgiving. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the WBOY out of Clarksburg showed up and, and asked questions, and it was kind of fun. We had, a, we had somebody that wanted to give a donation, and where's the donation? We don't have a donation. Pl- I mean, you can if you want to, but we're not doing this for money. We're not doing this to invite people to church, although it's nice when people go to church. We're not doing this to do anything other than serve. We didn't advertise which churches were involved, be, because kind of like Extreme Makeover, once you start getting your name out there, you run the risk of missing the point. I've, I've the example is that while Oprah Winfrey has given away a lot of stuff, the cameras were always rolling when she gave away a lot of stuff. And so we, you, you question a little bit of, of, of the motive. If you really want to give the way that Jesus gives, serve the way Jesus serves, you do it without kickback. You do it without the cameras rolling. You do it without, And that's what I like about the way that we do uh, in the ministerial coalition with, with the serving at Thanksgiving, it's no strings attached. It's not with any agenda other than it's our chance to serve. Chapter 13 of, of John is a very different chapter than what comes before. It's the Last Supper. We know what the Last Supper is. It's, it's the, but what makes John so interesting, the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we call them the synoptic Meaning that they're very similar. They look the same, synoptic. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke tell us all kind of the same accounts from different points of view. Um, John skips a lot of what's in those three and adds a lot of stuff. And what's amazing to me, the, the, the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, uh, this, this Thursday before he's crucified meal is a quarter of the book of John. And that's a big chunk a quarter of the book of John is just spent on his during dinner, after dinner, final words 
to his apostles. And so it reads very different than the rest of the book of John, let alone the other three Gospels. Uh, It ties into the previous chapters, but because of the shift in focus, there's a stylistic change in how it's read. The, The theme, that which John chooses to focus on, stays the same through the book of John, but we move into a, into a section of the book where it reads differently. And so with that said, usually we break it apart, read a little bit, talk, read a little bit. I just, this is hard to break up. We're just going to read the beginning of the Lord's, sorry, we're not going to read all five, cha- four, four or five chapters, but we're going to read the beginning of how it begins and see what we read about service and love through service. John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, and I think this is the most amazing word. So, based on that, he's the son of God and he's coming into his kingdom. So, he got up from the, ta- from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. That is the weirdest so in the English, in language. Because he was the king of the universe. He wraps a towel around his waist and and does what comes next. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, rightly so, for that is what I am. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, You will be blessed if you do them. I still love that word so. Because he knew that he was the king of the universe, he washed his disciples' feet. Jesus' full ministry flowed from a full knowledge of who he was. Our ministry must flow from our knowledge of who we are in Christ Jesus. So I want to look at the example of love and service that Jesus sets for us. He is the example of selflessness. So, a few college stories today. 
when I was in college, so three of my three of my favorite professors were Sam Reed, Walt Zorn, and Gary Hall, and they, I had Hebrew with all three of them, not because I took lots of Hebrew, because I didn't get it. <laughs> and I had to take, that's the only class I had to take more than once to get through it. Um, much as I love language, Hebrew was tough on me. I had, uh, so I remember there was, I, I came in, uh, our Sam Reed's Hebrew class, we were meeting right after uh, Walt Zorn's Life of Christ or something, I don't remember. I wasn't in that class. Uh, but I had Dr. Zorn for other things. But our, our Hebrew class came into the classroom while his class was leaving, and I heard about what had happened. And a kid had come into class with a ball cap on. Now, hmm. back in the late 80s, um, at a Bible college, you didn't do that. Uh, and, and Dr. Zorn felt that was incredibly disrespectful and had lit into that kid. And, and scolded him about the disrespect. What followed, so, so now we're, we're between classes. That, that, that class is leaving Hebrew with all three of us, is coming into the classroom. And Sam Reed, who was the oldest professor on campus at that time, Sam said, Walt, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I get that more than anybody. He said, but these kids were raised in a different generation. I don't know that, any, I don't know that half of them were even taught that a ball cap is disrespectful. Some of these kids are struggling to get out of bed on time and make it to class, and these guys are putting on ball caps so that you don't have to look at the fact that they haven't taken a shower and their hair is going everywhere. He said, that may have been a sign of respect, if anything. He said, I just, I think we need to set an example of choosing our battles and, and, and what's really worth fighting for with these young people that are here that, that have paid a lot of money at a private college because it's not publicly funded, to study to become preachers. And, and are we discouraging them or are we encouraging them in their ministry? He said, I just think you picked the wrong battle. That impressed me. What impressed me more was that everybody was talking about the next day, Dr. Zorn came into that class and apologized to that young man uh, for that very thing, uh, for, for, for getting on his case. Now, do I think that wearing a ball cap during prayer is disrespectful? Absolutely. Please don't do that. Do I think that a ball cap in the church is disrespectful? I do. Please, please don't do that. I'll say that now. But I get what Dr. Reed was saying, which was somebody that comes in from the street is, may not know that. And, and we don't want to get on, we would never want to drive someone away because they didn't know it and they finally came to church and that's their first encounter. The big lesson I got from this was a lesson in humility. That Dr. Zorn who's one of the greatest human beings I've ever had the privilege to, to study under. Um, what an amazing professor he was. He set me in so many examples. Um, and, one of the, and I could just tell stories all day on how much I got from him. But that lesson in humility has never left me. That, that he showed Christ-like humility. In, in, now, did he still believe that ball caps were wrong in class? Sure. And he explained that to the, to the students. But I respect that he did not come across as so condemning and that he could apologize for the way that he came across. Pride, you know, I used, uh, pride is a problem. Only little people think that they're never wrong. 
pride is a problem for our world. And we get that it's a problem for our world, that the world revolves around me. The problem is that so many Christians suffer from the same problem of pride. Uh, And I get this. We live in this world. We suffer from the views of this world. It affects us. But we should be moving past that, transformed into the image of Christ. Too many Christians show none of the Christ-like humility that we are called to. When we think that what matters is our way, we have lost sight of Christ, have, have we not? Jesus showed Peter what it means to love. And Peter's response, a little overboard, that's what Peter does throughout, throughout the Gospels. It's always a little overboard. It's a little all or nothing. Peter, Peter shows a mix of pride and, and humility. I, I, I think he means well. I do. I really believe that Peter means well in this passage. There's a mixture of pride mixed in with that humility. He's very wholehearted, very, very passionate. But he's kind of telling Jesus what to do, which is kind of a no-no, right? Uh, he, he had a hard time accepting this lesson from Jesus, and I would be, I suspect that many of us do too. Um, heaven, we like messages of heaven, where we're going to go one day, uh, paradise, uh, that, we're, that God loves us, like that lesson. Wash other people's feet? Eh, don't know about that. Jesus, I choose how I'm going to serve you, and I choose that it won't be to homeless people that are kind of weird in the head and smell funny. And uh, Je- Jesus, I choose what my ministry will be, maybe at a mega church, um, and 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 getting paid six digit figure. Figure, I'll, I'll choose. I, I'm reminded. I had, a, I had a classmate. I don't. I, I dare not say his name. I don't want to say his name. I had a classmate that professors were talking about. What would you do in this church situation or this? And the one classmate was like, "Well, it won't apply to me because I'll only be at a church of a thousand or more." And we all kind of laughed and snickered. And he's like, "I don't know that you're going to get that as a choice." And he's like, "No, no. I, I. That's all. That's that's anything less than that is. Uh, I won't. I won't serve at." He has never been a preacher. <laughs> He went from Bible college into insurance sales and then into um, nursing home administration. And uh, let me be clear, I, you know, I'm not, if that's where God called him, praise God. I, I mean that. I, I mean that with no disrespect. Um, love that he's, you know, nursing homes, serving other people. I think that's a wonderful thing. And maybe, in fact, that's exactly what happened is maybe there was a lesson and maybe, maybe a different kind of humility kick, kicked in. And that's, that's good. I said I'd never be a preacher. So, you know, he and I kind of reversed maybe. Um, we, ne- we need to be careful not to tell God. How, we need to be careful not to tell God how we will serve. Usually God will prove us wrong in my experience. Um, I, the, and humility. There was a time, the Orthodox Church of Constantinople, there was a time when the Orthodox Church of Constantinople had a rule that their priests could only move to a church that was smaller. Nobody could upgrade. You could serve, and if you wanted a bigger church, you had to grow it, but you could only move to a small, an equal or smaller sized church. Nobody could move to a bigger church. Uh, and, and I get the mindset behind that. Churches are not stepping stones. They're not, bigger churches are not worth more than little churches churches. Uh, Now, to some extent, maybe little churches need to tweak some of the things that they do if they're not effective in reaching the community. I think that that's fair. But 
you know, a church in a town of 7,000 is not going to have the same membership as a church in Louisville, Kentucky, which has hundreds of thousands of people. It's just not going to be as big. Humility is the only soil in which the grace of God can take root. Lack of humility explains all of our defects. Lack of humility is pride, the original sin, and I argue it's the reason behind every other sin. Pick, pick your sin. I deserve, and then we can fit in everything. I deserve to not tell the truth. I deserve to steal stuff. I deserve to cheat on my spouse. I deserve... Uh, pride is the root of all sin. It prevents us from growing because we don't think that we need to grow. We're fine as we are. And, 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 and maybe better than fine. And I think that that's where Peter had a problem. Peter, Peter was uncomfortable that Jesus, who was more perfect than he was, was on his hands and knees washing nasty, muddy, dirty feet. You know, one of the lessons I, I was reminded of this past week was to let other people minister. So, uh, uh, the example, let me say, my, my dad told me this. When I got into ministry, he said, there will be people that will volunteer to do things at the church, and you could do them better. <laughs> let them. They need to serve. You don't want it to be a one-man show, he said. You'll, you'll, you'll burn yourself out that way. So, this, this Thursday at the Odd Fellows, um, we had a lot of volunteers. <laughs> um, uh, Brett, the, the pastor at the Baptist Church, brought the d e basketball team down to help us serve, like all 30 of them. It's not a big place. The Oddfellows is not that big, and the kitchen's not that big. We had a lot of volunteers from different churches as well. We may have had 50, 60, but we only get on average 100 dine-ins. <laughs> um, we had a lot of volunteers, more than we needed, without question, more than we needed. But I'm glad that they came. Uh, and so for the first time in, in many Thanksgivings, there were a lot of times that I just kind of stood back and watched, not because I couldn't do anything, but because other people needed the chance to do. And, and yeah, some of those, because there wasn't a lot to do, some of those basketball kids were, were absolutely on their iPhones, and I don't blame them for that. There, wasn't, there was more servants than we had service to be done. But some of them found places to get busy, and, and I'm glad that they did because maybe they needed that. They got to go home from Thanksgiving and said, I did something good for somebody else. And... And we need to do something good for other people. That's Christ-like. And so sometimes the chance to serve up... I like Thanksgiving. The people that serve, I think, get a whole lot more than the people that are served. The people that serve get to be Christ-like. The people that are served just get to eat food. And we do that three times a day, most of us anyway, right? That, that doesn't matter that much. But the people that get to serve, that's a big deal. Um, Jesus' example provides us an example of self-giving love. Jesus' example multiplies his love. As we show selfless love to others, we are Jesus to a world that needs to see him. He is the the example of selflessness. Jesus is the example of service. So another college example, Professor Jones, uh, back in college, his daughter got injured in a basketball game and it really messed up her eyesight um and he and and it was snowy to boot and the roads were very closed and and getting her to the hospital that wasn't he wasn't sure it was worth getting to her hospital that night but the next morning he realized she needed to go to the hospital but he woke up what woke him up was the sound of a snow shovel and 
Dr. Jones looked out the window and Dr. Sackett was shoveling his sidewalk. Now, Chuck Sackett is probably the single greatest preacher in the restoration movement, maybe that is ever. He, he, he was the preaching professor at Lincoln um, for a reason. You've got a whole Bible college full of different preachers, but he was the preaching professor. He's an incredible man. Uh, again, someone I've learned so much from. He could have got any student. At a Bible college, he could have called up any student. Most of those students would have said, for Dr. Jones, who we love, we'll shovel his sidewalk at 5 o'clock in the morning. We'll do. They really probably would have. But it was Dr. Sackett that was out there shoveling the next morning. Just a humble act of service. And he would probably be embarrassed that I was sharing this, that, that story. Um, we, we know why feet were washed. Roads weren't paved, they were dusty, and animals, mules and horses and donkeys and animal cows, animals walked on those roads and did animal things on those roads that you walked through and stepped through, and it was gross. Um, this was a need that people had. And again, I think you've, no, by and large, they didn't sit in chairs back then. They would recline at the table. The tables were kind of more like coffee tables with cushions around it, which meant you'd kind of lay down and face the table, and then the next person down there had my feet by their head. Washing the feet was actually really needed. This was normally the task of a servant, but what we read here is there was no servant. And, and out of 12 disciples, no one volunteered. But Jesus took the role of a servant and ministered to his disciples because that's what ministry is. The, the Greek word for serve or minister, to minister to someone's needs, it's the same word. The Greek word is diakonos. And if you don't know that that's where we get the word deacon, hey, now you know that's what a deacon is. It's a servant minister. Um, and servant minister is a very redundant phrase. Um, you know, in my previous church, when I got there, we had like five elders and we had like, I think we had like 13 deacons. The church was not that big. They had gone through that phase of let's just make everybody a deacon, which is not a healthy thing to, to do. Over the years, the numbers dwindled down to a far more manageable, far more reasonable number. You know, you should come to church every Sunday if you're, you know, if, 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 if you're given a task like that. So over the years, as the numbers dwindled down, we got to the point where we said, hey, it's probably time to start expanding the number again. We're down to about four deacons. Um, and, I, and I pulled the guys together and said, we're going to start it. We're going to invite one or two guys in the church to be deacons. Um, what do I tell them that you do? Because that's a, pro- that's a problem for every church. The Bible tells us what elders are and do. And it tells us what deacons are. But there's no job description in the Bible of a deacon, other than the title, the servant minister. Uh, so I asked the guys, what do you guys do? And, I, and they said, hang on a second. And the four of them went back and they kind of did a little huddle. They came back and the chairman of the deacon says, there are things in the church that need to get done or the church won't function as it should. If they're not getting done, if the ball got dropped, you should be able to call any of us and say, can you make sure that this gets done? And I said, well, I like that. I actually like that as a, as a, as a definition of a deacon. They just, the, at least in that church, we just make sure that things get done that need to get done. If nobody else is doing them, we're the ones that will put the towel around our waist and make sure that this job gets done. Um, I like that. You cannot be a deacon without serving because it's the definition. To, and, and to demonstrate, I think, service to the rest of the church. 
This is the kind of leader that Jesus was, and it should be the kind of leadership that churches have. Servant leadership focuses on service and leadership. And too often people want to lead and they don't want to serve. But this is not, this is not what Peter wanted. Peter still had this concept that the Messiah would be this guy that would come in as a general and drive the Romans out of Israel. Rick Warren, uh, the preacher at Saddleback who wrote Purpose Driven Church and Purpose Driven Life, has, has said that it's time to take off the bib and put on the apron. That's a good statement. It's time to take off the bib, serving ourselves, and put on the apron and serve others. Um, Lincoln Christian Univers- Seminary, back when back, uh, they had both the college and the seminary, when you graduate from the seminary, you get a towel. And this towel means a lot to me. I really, um, it, I, I, love the, I love the message. When you walk across the stage and get your master's degree, uh, they, give you, they, give you, they give you the towel to remind you that that's your job. And I think that that's a good image. I think that's an important reminder that the job of ministry is service. In ministry, what we do can be demeaning. It's service. Um, we cannot minister without service. You know, somebody will say, well, then I don't want to minister. If, if, I, if serving other people in, in demeaning ways, then I don't want to minister. Then you can't follow Christ. Jesus' action demonstrates his love. Do we show Christ in our lives by serving others? Um, He is the example of our service. And, and we know this, he is the example of our sacrifice. It's an unusual chapter. Uh, In storytelling, we call this foreshadowing. Now, I need to be cautious. Uh, I think you can tell true stories. Some people get offended by the word story, when we talk about the Bible, and I get that. I get that. I prefer the word account. Um, These are the accounts of Jesus. I don't like the word story because story seems fictional. Uh, So when I say storytelling, some people may get offended. This is not fiction. I I absolutely don't believe this. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all the rest of the people that wrote the Bible had literary styles that they adopted. The fact that John is so drastically different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke shows us that John had a very different style, a very different way of writing his gospel. And, and the way that he chose to do it has a little bit of foreshadowing. There's that line, um, for he knew who was going to betray him in verse 11. And that was why he, he said not everyone was clean. Um, uh, and, and, and elsewhere, he, you know, in verse uh, In verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Um, Now, let's be honest. If this is your first encounter at the gospel, that might be a creepy phrase. You don't know what's coming next. But I don't know that I've ever met anybody who just randomly picked up the book of John and didn't know how it was going to end. Jesus has changed the world. John was probably written after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I don't even know that when John wrote it, there weren't the people don't pick up. What's this? This is this weird random book. I don't know what it is, uh, and and get to the end of it and say I didn't see that coming. So I don't. It, it's foreshadowing, but everybody who reads John knows how it's going to end. 
Um, we know how it ends. We know what this means. We know why Jesus came. He sacrificed himself and died for our sins. We know where this is going. John assumes that you know where this is going. It's why he's not afraid to spoil the ending. Do you know what the... I'm going to get really, really, really politically incorrect. You know what the difference is between... But, but, but truthful. You know what the difference is between Christianity and Islam? You can see it today. I promise you, you can see it today. Um, and, and let's just call it for what it is. Muhammad got kicked out of his hometown, raided caravans for a number of years, um, kind, of, kind of lived the life of a bandit pirate, kind of, kind of inland pirate, raised an army and went back and killed all the people that had kicked him out of town, conquered, conquered his hometown, died a rich man surrounded by his underaged wives, uh, and taught everybody to kill those who oppose you. And he called that jihad. And it, jihad still exists. And we see it. And we see it literally right now in the news. Jesus washed his disciples' feet and then later died for them. Um, 9-11 makes sense, frankly. If you look at the example of Muhammad uh, and, and, and the example that he sets for his people, uh, this recent October 7th massacre makes sense. Let's call it for what it is. Uh, kill everybody that disagrees with you uh, on, on matters of faith. Conquer those who are not a part of your faith. Islam means submit. Whether you willingly submit or we make you submit, Islam means submission. Christianity is based upon Christ, the anointed one. Anointed for what? Well, his name is Jesus. He saves. That's what the name Jesus means. The anointed one will save us or you will submit. Muhammad was a conqueror. Call it for what it is, a killer. Jesus was the lamb who sacrificed himself in place of us. The more that you try to follow Islam and be like Muhammad, you will be a conqueror. The more that we follow Jesus and try to be like him, we will sacrifice ourselves for others. Now, invariably, somebody's going to bring up at some point, well, Jason, what about the Crusades? What about all these other things that churches have done through the years that were not good? And, and we here in Elkins in 2023 can say that was wrong. That wasn't Christ-like. There have been times when the church has gotten it very wrong through the last 2,000 years, and we're able to say that was wrong, that wasn't anything like Jesus. And, and we should, and we should say that. Um, because Jesus is the definition of love, and love is about sacrifice. Otherwise, it's just selfishness. The example of Jesus is one of service and sacrifice I hope we hear what this is about. We are called to sacrifice. Sacrifice ourselves for his kingdom in whatever way God calls us. It's going to be different from person to person. Selflessly serve, give up our rights, die to self. Jesus' death authenticates his love. The question is, will we join him in his death? That's what the call is. Our hymn of invitation is hymn number, um, I'm not sure, is it 322? It is, 322. Love is an action. It's not something we fall into. It's something that we choose. You are called to choose Jesus. If you haven't chosen him, 
What are you waiting for? Uh, Jesus died for you. Join him in death. He loves you, but you have to choose to love him. It is not forced. You are called to follow, follow God through Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.